0: All right. Good morning, church family. Come on. If you guys are thankful for Jesus, let's give him another hand this morning. Good to be in church. Good to see you guys. I have not got to spoke in a couple of weeks, and so it's good to be back in the saddle this morning. It's good to see everybody here. I might have some visitors in the house. So glad that you guys are here with us as well. Before I get into the message this morning, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, we got candlelight coming up. Everybody say candlelight. And uh, look, I, I've got to hear and see some of the things that the team's been working on, and, and I just want to tell you, it's always good. We always, uh, just the music and, and what the team's able to put together, it's always, it's always amazing. And, uh, and there's no exception to that this year, and you don't want to miss out. But you have to understand, the reason why we do these services is not just for you, okay? Don't be offended by that. But the reality is, the reason why we do these services and we do so many of these services is because this is an, an incredible opportunity for us to reach into our community and invite people that are not connected to the body of Christ. Or more importantly, are people that don't know the true meaning of Christmas, the hope that is in Jesus. And so we just want to encourage you and challenge you. And Ricky will, will mention this again later on in the service. that that this is a great time for you to hang out with family. This is a great time for you to come and enjoy your church family here. But this is more importantly a great time where you get to invite somebody that isn't here right now or hasn't been a part of a church for a long time or has never been in a church to be able to come and hear an eternal message that could change them forever. Uh, So I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to just mention real quick and brag on the people that came out yesterday to help with our Christmas mall, man. It was an amazing, amazing day. Ricky will give you more details later on in the service. But I loved watching as families came in. I love the honor and the respect that we gave to these people and just how we protected them and how, you know, look, it's it's a very humbling thing. I've been there at points in my life uh, where you have to ask for help and, and you're in a tough spot you're in a tough situation. And so to see these families come in and to humble themselves and, and be willing to admit that, that they needed some help getting Christmas for their kids. But I love how our team and how our family just kind of wrapped them up in a place of safety and honor and respect. And I love seeing how people were praying and there were a lot of different roles that were being accomplished from from wrapping presents to, to people greeting to people going around and help them pick out stuff to people praying to, to security to people handing out food and, and all this stuff. And, and, and this is what I know. I know that it was a greater impact to the people that were here serving yesterday than it was even to the people that we gave Christmas to. And the reason why is this, because there is nothing like being used by God to do something eternal for his kingdom. And you have not experienced life. You have not lived life until you have put yourself in a position where you said, God just use me, and when God uses you to bless somebody else, there is no better place than that. There's no better joy, there's nothing more fun, there's nothing more exciting, there's nothing more fulfilling than when you allow yourself. To be used by God to do something greater than yourself, to bless somebody, to help somebody else. It reminded me of this, this portion of scripture, and I'm gonna read it out of the King James Version because I love the way that this is phrased. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. I beseech you, brethren. How many of you are thankful we don't talk like this? Come on now. Okay, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. And that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I love that. Because the reality is this. All of us on on, on one level or another, we we probably have some addictions in our life. Okay, And I'm not even talking about the bad addictions that we may associate with. But I'm just talking about things that we get in a a pattern of doing every single day that we know we probably do too much of. it. Some of us are addicted to Netflix. Like, we got a problem. We need a support group, okay? The first, the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem, okay? And some of us are addicted to chocolate. We're the chocolate lovers out, all right? You're addicted, okay? All right? It can be a problem. Not too big of a problem. It can be a problem. All of us are addicted to something, but I love what Paul is saying here to, this, to these brothers and sisters that are saying we are completely committed. It says that they addicted themselves to the work of Jesus Christ just saying, I am willing. There is nothing more important than being used by you, God. At Christmas, I think about how God used Mary. Like, why did God use Mary? Because we know God's not up in heaven playing any, mini, many, mo with people. Like when God picks somebody, he picks them for a reason. There's, there's a purpose and a reason behind why he picks people. And so when you look at Mary, why, why did he, why did he pick Mary? Well, I want, I want to talk through some misconceptions about Mary. Okay. Depending on how you were raised around church, you you might have been bought into some, some misconceptions because not once in the Bible does it say that we should worship Mary. Not once, not once did it say that, that Mary was without sin or perfect. Not once. God, the Bible never said that. It never said that, that she was like God. Not once did it say that. In fact, the only thing that was, the the main thing that was special about Mary was that she was completely ordinary. And the reason why that's so special is because when God takes an ordinary person and does something extraordinary through them, that is something amazing. That is something special. And that was exactly who Mary was. She was ordinary. God didn't pick Mary because she was well educated because she wasn't. God didn't pick Mary because she was wealthy because she was poor. God didn't pick Mary because of all of her experience and her maturity because she was just a teenage girl. But God picked her for some reason. And that's what I want to look at today. Like, how, what are the characteristics that were in her that God picked to do one of the greatest miracles, the greatest miracle? that any of us have ever experienced. Let's look at the account in Luke chapter one, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. There's an explanation point there. He's like yelling this at her. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think, what in the world are you talking about? Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The Greek words for confused and disturbed is simply petrified, scared to death. Well, you would be a little too. You know, you're just sitting around your house minding your own business. Nothing's going on. All of a sudden, the front door swings wide open. Angels there, greetings. Fear not, though. (laughs) I love the humor of God on that. Like every time angels show up, they always just scare the mess out of people and then say, don't be afraid. (laughs) Even though we know you are, you just peed your pants a little bit. She had every reason to be afraid, but she didn't let her fear control her. She didn't let her fear dictate what she was gonna do next. God says, look, you're gonna be the mother of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure in her flesh, all kinds of fears probably started to surface like the fear of criticism like what's everybody going to think I'm a virgin and I'm going to be pregnant the fear of the supernatural (laughs) like okay so what are you going to do to me is this going to be like a natural normal type or what does a supernatural pregnancy look like Just the fear of the unknown, of what it looks like when God does something supernatural. The fear of inadequacy. Look, all of us, every parent has faced this at one point or another. And if you say that you've never felt inadequate in raising kids, then you're a liar. You shouldn't lie in church because God will kill you, okay? Because all of us at one point or another, we felt like, God, I just don't feel adequate to be able to do this. I don't care if you had all the confidence in the world. When you've had your first kid, you got that kid home and all the backup was back at the hospital, and you're there in your house, and you have a living human being that you are now in charge of, you can have a little bit of fear of inadequacy. She is having God. Imagine the fears of inadequacy. Like, what do you? do you spank God? Do you put God in timeouts? Like imagine just... my God, oh, I hope I never lose him. She did. This the inadequacies. You look at the fear of change. The fear of change. She wasn't planning on this. I guarantee you she wasn't sitting around her house like, man, someday i just love to give birth to God. And now this is changing everything that I'm sure she thought she was going to be doing with her life. And yet she still was used by God was willing to be used by God. And it starts with that. God uses people who desire to do his will. You have to have a want. Everything starts with a want, a desire. And people who are doing the will of God, I find they are driven by the will of God. Because they get to a point in their life where they realize nothing is more important, nothing is more satisfying than doing the will of God. And here's the thing. God has a plan for every single person's life. But it's not automatic. In other words, you have to choose to walk in that plan. And we don't always make the choice to walk in God's plan. Because you can miss the plan of God. You can miss it. Now, I do believe that because of God's grace, that when you miss the plan of God, he's already got a contingency plan, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, thousands to get you back in his plan, to get you back in his will. But the bottom line is this, you can waste your life outside of the plan of God. You can spend your life on a lot of other things and miss out on the plan of God. You can do a lot of good things in your life and still miss The plan of God, if his plan and his purpose are not your number one priority. Like you have got to know the plan of God and nothing is more important than you to have confidence in knowing. God wants to use me and I'm going to answer that call angel shows up to Mary and says, God's got this great plan, this fantastic plan. He wants to come to earth so everybody can know what he's like. Because there's major misconceptions about the character of God. And so he wants to come in flesh so people can understand his heart and his love and his compassion and his plan and purpose. And so he wants to come to earth. And guess how he's going to do it, Mary? He's going to use your body. And she had to make the decision whether or not she was going to desire that plan above any plan that she had. And says in Luke verse 1, verse 46, or chapter 1, verse 46, My soul praises the Lord, my heart rejoices in God my Savior, because he has shown his concern for his humble servant girl. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have that kind of response to this kind of news. And yet it's clear that before that moment happened, she had settled in her heart what was most important, that it was his plan that was most important because Mary didn't say, find somebody else. Like, God, I will serve in the nursery, but birthing Jesus is just not part of what I want to do. She could have said a lot of things, like, I've got my plans. I've got my ambitions. I've got my dreams. I've got my schedule. This isn't really convenient for me, Gabe. Some other things I want to do. But Mary's response is full of enthusiasm and humility. Like that point where it's like, if I got to do anything for God, that would be the most humbling place to be. What do you desire most? Do you desire the plan and will of God more than anything else? Or is it down on the list behind some other things that are important, that are good, but are not the most important? Another thing, God uses people who decide to pay the price. People who decide to pay the price because there's always going to be a cost in following God's plan for your life. It's going to cost you. You're probably going to have to give up some stuff around your life to be able to fulfill God's plan. Verse 38 says, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant and I'm willing to do whatever he wants. Everybody say whatever. Amen. Part of the issue that we have in our culture is we're living in a generation where people have a whatever mentality, but it's with a wrong tone. We live in a, a culture and... and in a society where, where people are just like, you know, just, it's just whatever. Like whatever works for you, works for you, what works for me, works for me. Everything is subjective. There is no real moral compass. There's no specific direction that we have. It's just kind of left up for interpretation. And so, you know, whatever, whatever. I think God is, is desiring to have a people that say whatever, but with a completely different tone that says whatever God. I will do anything. I will do whatever you ask me to do. But here's the thing. Those are very scary prayers. They are dangerous prayers. Like God, I'll do, I'm willing to do whatever. Because we're scared. Like, what is that going to mean? And from time to time, God will ask you to do something so crazy and outlandish, like, sell everything. It's time to move to Djibouti, Africa. But I find more times than not, what God is asking you to do is right around a sweet spot that you already have. It's around a natural gifting. It's around a natural ability. It's just he wants you to point all of that at his kingdom. He's just asking you to, 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 to take what he's already placed inside of you and redirect it away from things that, that, that may be important to you and may be good according to what culture says and, and just point it towards his kingdom and just point it towards who he is. And that's what Mary says. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to pay the price and it's gonna cost her Everything. It's going to cost her her reputation. She's a virgin. And now she's going to be pregnant. I mean, she's engaged. she be married to Joseph. Like, how do you explain that to everybody around your community? Nobody's going to believe that. And here's the thing. Jesus was 30 years old. As far as we can tell, according to Scripture, Jesus was 30 years old before he did one miracle that substantiated his claim to being the Messiah. 30 years of people raising their eyebrows at Mary, questioning her character, questioning her integrity, questioning how this whole thing came about. 30 years. And then Jesus does his first miracle and they're like, oh, are bad, sorry, yeah, I guess, oh he, oh, he is, okay, but giving up your reputation, I mean, just imagine, imagine what her family thinks about this, you know, imagine what, just the people, the rumors that were flying around on face scroll, because they didn't have face, had, it's a bad joke, and we'll move on. You are engaged, okay, ladies in the house. You're not married, but you're engaged to this guy, and you get. Imagine going and having this conversation. Now, Jesus, now God cleared this up with Joseph too, but imagine having to go to your fiance. Um, hey, I know we're gonna get married, but I'm pregnant. What? Who did you sleep with? Nobody. Who's the dad? God. <laughs> like. He's not going to buy that story. And so I'm sure she had the fear she was going to lose the man she loved too. But she was willing to count this cost. Here's the point. If you get serious about the plan of God for your life, people are going to misunderstand you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to judge you. Why? Because you're not going to look like everybody else. You're going to be different. And you got to be willing to count the cost. It also costs her her comfort. You better believe that. Because the Bible says that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, and she's in Nazareth, which is about 60 miles. Okay, so imagine being nine months pregnant. Your husband comes to you and says, Hey, we got to take a trip to Branson, um, but you're going to need to ride the donkey. I'll tell you, that would not, if, I, if that happened with Cody, look, when she was nine months pregnant, I drove her 60 miles in a really comfortable car and she pulled a knife on me twice. Okay, so like she was willing to be uncomfortable, but it was, it was way beyond that. How would you like to be a young teenage girl having your first child in a foreign city in a cold barn with no family around? Imagine how uncomfortable it would be. And then once you do have the baby, you find out that the king wants to kill him. So you've got to flee to a foreign country, Egypt, where you've got to live until it's safe to come back. She definitely gave up some comforts. But this is a major problem for us, right? This is a major problem for me sometimes because in our culture, living in America, we don't want to be uncomfortable. Shoot, we come to church, we get mad because somebody got a better parking spot than us. Like, we're coming here to worship God, I'm like, oh, just so excited to be at church. She took my parking spot. Okay. Now I got to park over in the gravel. Do you know how hard it is to walk in gravel with these heels? I can't even. And that is way too good of an impression. I'm not speaking to anyone specifically, but you know who you are. We don't want to be uncomfortable to do anything. But if you want to do the will of God and be used by him, you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable. It says in Luke 14, verse 27, this is Jesus speaking, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, You cannot be my disciple, but don't begin until you count the cost. If you've ever carried a cross before, it's very uncomfortable. But he's not speaking of a literal cross. He's just speaking of the world will be in opposition to the things of God your own flesh will be in opposition to the things of God. If you want to follow his will, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. But the rest of this verse, it says, don't do it unless you count the cost. But here's the amazing thing about this, because a lot of times, if you're masochistic, you think, that's right. I've just got to be willing to be miserable for God. I'm just, life's going to stink, but it's for, it's for you, God. That is not what he's saying because there is an exchange that happens when you count the cost. And the exchange is this you trade momentary happiness for everlasting joy and peace. You trade things that are very temporary and empty and unfulfilling for a life filled with adventure and excitement. And fulfillment. Not easy. Painful. Uncomfortable. Costly. But the best. There's nothing like it. What are you willing to give up in order to be used by God? Because some of you, you may need to give up some stuff. Some of us need to give up some habits that we have. Some of us might need to give up some relationships that are not building us up in the things of God, but they're tearing us down. And some of us may have good friends that aren't godly friends, and that's okay. But you've got to have some godly friends that are going after the things that you're going after to encourage you and to strengthen you. Some of us may need to give up some dreams that we have to get God's dreams. We might need to give up our ambitions and our goals and our plans and our finances and trust in God that he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. What are you willing to give up to be used by God? Number three, God uses people who walk by faith. People that walk by faith, and this is difficult, you know, because you're talking about things you're not always going to see, you're not always going to be able to touch. Mary was put in a position where she was going to have to trust God in spite of what she couldn't see yet, to walk by faith and not by sight. It says in Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Don't lean on what you can see and what you don't see. Confess in faith, proclaim over your life that your hope and trust is in God Almighty, no matter what. But I want you to think about this with me because This is a major major faith walk here because what were the odds of a virgin having a baby? Now, you didn't have to go to college statistics class to get this right because I think all of us can figure it out. The chances of a virgin having a baby are zero. Zero. But I can tell and I've seen that so many of you are living life under the burden of a statistic. You're living under the burden of a statistic about your marriage, about your child, about your health. You're living under these statistics. And I think it's important that you understand stats. I think it's important that you're informed by statistics. But don't ever put your hope and trust in a statistic. Because I, don't, I can't claim to know exactly how God is going to work out all of your situations and circumstances that you're walking through right now. But I can tell you this with complete and total confidence. God is bigger than your statistic. He is bigger. And he will work. And I have seen time and time and time again in my own life and many others lives. God is really good at working with zero. There's zero chance we're going to have a baby. I could tell you some testimonies. There's zero chance that I'm going to be healthy and healed. I could tell you some testimonies. There's zero chance my marriage is going to work out. I could tell you some stories. There's zero chance God likes working with zero because he gets all the glory. But he's bigger than your statistic. I don't want us to learn from Mary because she figured this out. I guarantee you this though, she didn't figure out in that moment. She figured that out earlier on. This is a lifestyle for her. She walked in this place of choosing to walk in faith, speaking in faith. There comes this crucial point because now the information has been given and Jesus or, and Mary has to make the decision, how am I going to respond? In verse 34 says, Mary asked the angel, but how can it be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby will be born The baby that will be born will be holy and will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she conceived a son and now is in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fail because there was prophecy about all this stuff happening. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I think there's a lot you can learn with this. And it's with The different places that you look to to be a person of faith. That when you're faced with bad odds and horrible statistics, where do you turn? Where do you find your faith? How is your faith stretched? First, you have to look within you. Now, when I say look within you, I'm not saying like, You've got to trust the force inside of you. So all you Star Wars geeks can just chill out. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. God has given you his Holy Spirit. And just like God poured his Holy Spirit out on Mary, when you become a Christian, God gives you his Holy Spirit. And when you have his Holy Spirit, you have his presence walking with you every day. And there's a mystery about this. And it's a big deal. But all of a sudden, there's a a resource available to you that gives you clarity. That gives you confidence. That gives you perspective. That gives you energy. That gives you peace. That gives you joy. His name is the Holy Spirit. He is the great counselor and the helper. And when you're in a place where you're facing the stats, you've got to look to him Look to the Holy Spirit and how He wants to move and work in your life. Number two, you've got to look around you. You've got to look around you because the, the angel made sure to mention to her that her cousin Lizzie was going to have a baby too. But this is the cool thing about this. Elizabeth, most Bible theologians believe that Elizabeth was in at least her 60s when she conceived. Okay? Now, this is another interesting Portion of this, and obviously, you've got to judge the source. But there are portions of Islam that believe that she might have actually been in her 80s when she conceived. And I love the picture of this up in heaven, right? The angels come to God and say, all right, we know the plan. This is going to be awesome. So you got John the Baptist and he's going to come down. He's going to prepare the way for Jesus. Okay. And then Jesus is going to come. So who are the people we're going to use for this? I know. I know. Let's do this. Let's use an older woman and let's use a really young girl. And God's like, nah, let's use somebody who's ancient and a virgin. Drop the mic. Walked off the throne. Because you have these two people that are in an impossible scenario together. You see, God has a purpose. He has a plan for your life, but he also has a person for your life. Because some of you are sitting around in this room right now, believing the lie of the enemy, that you're the only one that knows what it feels like to go through what you're going through. And that is a lie from the It's one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that you are alone. You're alone in your sin. You're alone in your circumstance. You're alone in the situation. You're alone in your stat, which makes no sense because you wouldn't have a stat unless there was a lot of people that went through the same thing. But the enemy would lie to you and get you to, to believe that somehow, because you are unique in and of yourself, you have nobody that can help you and support you And I want you to look around this room and understand that whether you see it or not right now, you are wrapped in the testimony of others that have been there, done that, and have seen God move and heal and set free and restore. Well, let's just take a survey. Anybody in this room ever lost a job unexpectedly? Some of you don't want to raise your hand because you get fired a lot and you don't want to admit to that. But <laughs> Anybody ever got a discouraging diagnosis about your health before? Anybody in this room ever gone through that? Anybody ever have one of your kids make a really stupid decision on Tuesday at 9 a.m. in the morning? It doesn't matter what you've been through. I guarantee you, God would not have brought you to this place and left you in a place with no hope, with no one to look to, with no one to encourage you. At one point or another, you're going to be in the fight of your life. And when you are, you better have some backup. But here's the thing, the ball's in your court. If you want to know somebody else that can help you and encourage you and challenge you and exhort you, And relate to where you're at. You're going to have to get around some people and open up and be vulnerable and be real. And the reason why we have life groups, the reason why we have serve groups, the reason why it's not enough for you just to come to a service on Sunday, you're going to have to have some relationships outside of this service. The reason why is because we know that one of the primary vehicles that the Lord uses to encourage us so that we don't give up on his plan, we don't give up on his purpose, we don't give up on his word, is he uses people to encourage us and to speak that challenge and to speak that encouragement into us. But we've got to be willing to be open to it. Look around you. It'll help you have faith. It'll encourage, it'll strengthen your faith. The other thing you have to do is you have to be willing to look up, look up. And this is a hard thing because you can't see God. You can't touch him all the time. It's hard to understand the way he works. You read the Bible. There's some stuff in there. It's like, how in the world? This story. I met with somebody a couple days ago. and They haven't been a believer very long. and, And they're doing well, but they're just struggling with the same stuff that any of us. I don't care how dedicated of a believer you are at one point or another. You have questioned God. You have questioned whether or not something that happened in the Bible. Like, how in the world? This guy, he just told me. He's like, Pastor James, I really like science and proof. I was like, that's good news. God invented science. But but here's the deal. At one point or another, this is faith. It's faith. It's you looking up and saying, in spite of how I feel, in spite of what the apparent truth is, there is an eternal truth in you that is bigger and more powerful than anything temporary I'm looking at right now. And I'm gonna trust in that. Luke one thirty seven says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. With God, those are two very important words. Not, man, if you're strong enough, you're gifted enough, you know, if you're tough enough, if you just got really good endurance, if you don't partner those things with God, it won't really help you. But with God, all things are possible with God. That's how you walk by faith. Sometimes you got to get your eyes up, you have to have an eternal perspective. Mary, in this moment, in her flesh, she was freaking out. But in her spirit, with her soul, and with her heart, she praised God. She praised God. Thanked God that He would use her in this way, and declared, with God, all things are possible." And the last thing that she said, she said, "I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. God wants sons and daughters that have that on their heart. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, just have a relationship with God is the first step to being used by him. But relationship with God, it it doesn't start with what you do. It starts with who he is and knowing who you are in him. And being used by God, it's not about the ritual things of going to church. Going to church is important, but, but it's more than that. It's about having a genuine and real relationship with him where you just open up your life and say, I'm a mess and I'm broken and I'm a sinner. But I open my life to you, God, and I ask you to forgive me. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. And to be used by God, it has to start there. It starts with relationship. And some of you have never made that choice before. And this morning, you have that opportunity. And some of you, you, you had that with God. You had that relationship with him. But at one point or another, because of your own sin and the condemnation that you allowed to come into your life, you pushed yourself away from God. Or you just got busy. Or your priorities got mixed up and the will of God stopped being the number one priority and your own agenda became the priority. And maybe you just need to rededicate your life to him. You need to come back to him this morning. If you're either one of those people, I want to give you a chance to respond to him this morning, to have a relationship with him for the first time or just to come back to him. And if you're either one of those people, I'm, just, I'm going to count to three and I want you with boldness. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. But it is going to be a little uncomfortable just to raise your hand to confess before God and me that this is who you are, and Jesus is who you need. If that's you, on the count of three, let's raise your hand. One, two, three. Hands up right now. I just declare, God, I need you, Jesus. As soon as I see your hand,ing you put it down. I just want you to know I'm praying with you, praying, praying. I got it. 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 Yes, got it, guys. Thanks. Yes, sir. There at the back. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm making this decision. Got it, guys. Thank you. Anybody else? I need Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to rededicate my life to him today. Anybody else? Okay. We had quite a few hands raised. Let's just talk to God. Every person, raise your hand. You can make a personal, private decision right there in your chair to follow Jesus. You need to go public with this. At one point or another, you need to tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. The best way to go public with the decision to follow Jesus is water baptism. You'll have a chance to do that here in a few weeks here at our church. But right there in your chair, just talk to God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I don't want to pretend anymore. I can't do it on my own. I need you. And I don't have a whole lot of faith, but what amount of faith I have, I'm putting it in your hands and I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins you defeated my sin in the grave you defeated gra- the grave and death you rose again Jesus I want you to have control I want you to be my Lord I want you to be my Savior and I want to live for you I want to walk in your will God I want to know what it means to walk in your purpose I want to understand as much as I can the vastness of your love and your grace and your mercy be my Lord and Savior be the best friend I'll ever have and for us as a body of believers Lord as a church please God don't let us get caught in the fray of schedule of culture of life forget our first purpose and forget what we are created for and that's to glorify you. It's to build your kingdom. It's to be your sons and daughters. It's to grow in intimacy with you every day. Help us keep that at the top of our list of what we're aiming at. And we know that if we will do that, if we won't lean on our own and to understand in all of our ways acknowledge you, you will make our path straight. We thank you for that promise. It's for your glory. It's for your kingdom. It's for souls. It's for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We had several people that raised their hands to get right with Jesus. Let's give them a hand. Let's give God some praise in this place for what he did this morning.